Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Aquaman, Black Falcon, Samurai, Apache Chief. Together they form the world's greatest force of good ever assembled. Dedicated to truth, peace, and justice for all mankind. These are the Man the of Hey everybody, welcome to episode 125 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode I'm going to move in to the new season of Super Friends. This is what we're going to call season 5 overall of Super Friends. This is the fall 1980 season in which we had another format change yet again. This time around, we are making the move from per each half hour from from one 22 or so minute episode to three 7 or so minute shorts. Basically, kind of like the format back when I covered the Filmation cartoons, The New Adventures of Superman, which aired in the late 60s. And this format is going to continue for the next couple of years, as viewers were treated to three new episodes weekly and a rerun from one of the previous six years. So what basically what happened is there would be a half hour of three all-new seven-minute shorts, followed by a 22-minute rerun from one of the previous seasons. And I assume anything that was rerun from the... Uh, opening season of Super Friends of 1973, if anything was run at all, it was probably broken up into two-part chunks because those episodes were 45 minutes each, over a one-hour time slot. These new adventures featured appearances by the core group of five classic Super Friends, Superman, Batman, and Robin, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman, along with the Wonder Twins. There are also some guest appearances from members previously depicted in The Challenge of the Super Friends. In this particular episode, we're going to see Flash in a story, and uh, we're going to have Green Lantern down the road, and we're going to see the return of Samurai and Black Vulcan as well. Occasionally a DC villain, one of the members of the Legion of Doom would resurface the men as the heroes, but for the most part, they dealt with non-comic villains and threats. And even sometimes they ran into somebody who had decent intentions, but things got out of hand. The Super Friends were joined this year on ABC by Plastic Man in his second and final season on Plastic Man Comedy Adventure Show, which was produced by Ruby Spears, who would eventually go on to produce the uh, Superman show of the uh, late 80s. This was also the final season of Filmation's Batman series, which was played in reruns for one last time during this year before it kind of vanished into obscurity. That was on NBC, and as part of the 90-minute reruns, you were treated to Batman and the Super 7. There was also Godzilla and the Dynamite Hour on NBC, while on CBS, Filmation served up the Tarzan and Lone Ranger Adventure Hour, and Hanna-Barbera featured a short-lived superheroish monster cartoon called the Drag Pack. So, a lot of genre material out at this time. In 1980, the Super Friends were still growing strong. I mean, I've already mentioned uh, Black Vulcan and Samurai. Those two, along with Apache Chief, were promoted to starring status on during this season. All of you, I'm sure, were clamoring for that. There were also some health and safety tips, which I'm not going to go over as I am watching these episodes on the DC Universe app. And in the two episodes I've watched so far, there were no health and safety tips to be had. So we're just going to have to live without that. This is not necessarily a new thing, as there were health and safety tips during Season 2 on the all-new Super Friends Hour. I didn't really go too much into those back then, either. And, with the exception of Mixius Pitalik Strikes Again, I know the show calls it Mixoplik, but I'm going to continue to use the correct pronunciation. These episodes have been edited and aired as part of the 90s syndicated Superman Batman Adventures package. And that series featured edited episodes of various seasons of the Super Friends, as well as the 83 lost episodes of the Super Friends, which I'm going to talk about in about a month or so. Those 1983 lost episodes were eventually aired in the 90s on USA Cartoon Network and Boomerang. It's been reported that those shorts have all aired uncut on TV stations in Canada. 
So, returning for the new season, the narrator will continue to be William Woodson. The Super Friends cast includes all returning voice actors. Danny Dark voices Superman. Olin Sewell voices Batman. Casey Kasem is Robin. William Calloway was Aquaman. And Shannon Farnon was Wonder Woman. As far as the junior Super Friends go, Louise Williams voiced Jaina. Michael Bell voiced Zan and Gleek. Samurai and Hawkman were voiced by Jack Angel. Hawkgirl was possibly voiced by Janet Waldo. Michael Rye vo- voiced both Apache Chief and Green Lantern. Buster Jones voiced Black Vulcan. Sh- and Shannon Farnan or Kathy Carver, it's kind of unclear. One of those two voiced Dream of the Jungle Girl, who I'm dying to see a return episode from her. Just, I'll have you know that right now. And uh, Wally Burr will voice the Adam in two episodes. So we're going to get back to the expanded DC roster, and I'm kind of happy to see that, even though it doesn't appear as though the episodes are going to be as exciting. One of the things I noticed watching the episodes I've watched to cover this week's episode is, it's hard enough to have a satisfying story with the full team in 22 minutes. You're not going to be able to have the whole team in seven-minute episodes. There's just not enough screen time to go around, so in getting the seven-minute stories, we're going to lose out a little bit on uh, seeing the full team all together. Some additional actors will include Frank Welker voicing Mixie Spitalik, and Michael Bell will be the Riddler, and Bill Calloway will voice Pizarro. And uh, the DC Universe app, which I mentioned, this is where I'm watching the uh, the shows for my coverage, and uh, calls this season a dangerous fate. I'm not sure what the significance of that title is, and I have been unable to find anything further about that. I'll do some poking around between now and uh, the next recording and see if I find anything, but I am not sure what I will find. And as far as the DC Universe app goes, I pretty much subscribed for it right off the bat, knowing what shows would be on it. I'll be honest, if you're looking for comic books, if you're looking for a Marvel Unlimited type thing, you are probably going to be unsatisfied. The DC Universe app really serves my purposes quite well, as I came mostly for the video content. And as far as the content I need going forward, the DC Universe app has... The remaining episodes of Super Friends. The only stuff I really didn't own going into this section of the podcast, really once I passed The Adventures of Superman almost two years ago now, once I finished covering that, that really kind of ended or created a gap in my ownership of Superman material. I had to buy the Filmation cartoons, which are now on the DC Universe app, by the way. So if you haven't listened to uh, my coverage of the Filmation cartoons, you can watch along on the DC Universe app if you choose to. Almost everything from Filmation is on the app. The Superboy segments for Seasons 2 and 3 are on the app. I'm not sure why these segments for Season 1 are on the app. Are not on the app, but they're not. But Season 1 just has the Superman episodes, while Seasons 2 and 3 seem to have both the Superman episodes and the Superboy ones. I'm not sure what's going on with Season 1 there, but... So, like I said, and you can pretty much follow along any of my coverage... With the content on the app. Only the first Kirk Allen serial is on the app. I don't know wh- wh- why uh, Adam Man vs. Superman is not. If you ask me, that's the better one. But <laughs> that one is not on the app, but the first one is. George Reeves' show in its entirety is on there. All the Fleischers are on there. Really a wealth of content that I'm going to be needing for this podcast is on that app. So, like I mentioned, once I got past the Avengers of Superman, I didn't own any of it, really. So I had to buy all the Filmation stuff that was available to cover it, and I had to buy the first three seasons of Super Friends. It, it, and I don't own the Superboy TV show, and I'll be honest, I haven't watched the Superboy TV show since it was on in the early 90s, so I remember quite a few episodes, and I'm really looking forward to getting into that, probably at some time at the end of this year, maybe beginning of next year. So that's on there. Lois and Clark is on there, even though I own Lois and Clark. 
But basically, really, really what I needed to get a hold of is Super Friends and Superboy and just the money I'm going to save and not having to buy these episodes, because quite frankly, I'm probably never going to watch a lot of this stuff again. Not in the sense that really makes it worth purchasing. I'm really getting to the point where I'm being much more selective about what, what I buy because I've moved a lot in the past few years, and it's a pain to lug all this crap around, if you can get it elsewhere. But and like I mentioned before, I'm not sure how many times I'm really going to sit and watch these things again, especially with a plethora of stuff that I haven't watched that I'm meaning to get to. So just, so just for me and my purposes, the DCU app pretty much pays for itself just in the amount of content I'm not going to have to buy to complete the podcast. I own Lois and Clark. I own Superman the Animated Series. I have previously said that if I get through the animated series, I'll be happy. But if I do want to continue on into Justice League and Smallville, I own the first six seasons of Smallville. I do not own any of Justice League. So having that on the app, should I get that far, will definitely be a plus for me. So even putting aside the new content, the app is paying for itself in stuff that I need to watch just for the purposes of this show. So that is my pretty much long-winded introduction to Season 5 and a little bit about the DCU app. Before I get into this week's episode, I have uh, feedback to address. This is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, Episode 114. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Some fun stuff in this episode, Journey Through Inner Space, is so obviously a version of Fantastic Voyage that I kept thinking, I wonder if Raquel Welch had ever been considered to play Wonder Woman in the 1970s TV show. As far as I can tell, she was not, but she'd have filled out the costume at least as well as Linda Carter, who was an excellent Wonder Woman for the time. Super Friends Rest in Peace was probably not as upsetting for kids as you might think. I remember as a lad reading a backup story of the Legion of Superheroes in Adventure Comics number 304, cover dated January 1963, in which Lightning Lad, one of the founders of the Legion, died. Unusually for those days, his death was not a dream, not a hoax, not an imaginary story, but real. And he stayed dead until Adventure Comics 312, with a truly iconic cover, in which he was restored to life, only by the sacrifice of another character. Young kids often have a sense that death may not entirely be permanent, and that sense may be even stronger in comic book stories. I also wondered in passing about the spelling of the name Dr. Natas. If, as I suspect, it ends in an S rather than a Z, it's Satan spelled backwards, which seems the kind of silver and bronze age villain name the writers might slip in. For Rise and Fall of the Super Friends, I like the idea that Mixias Pitalik made the Super Friends star in his movie, and I very much enjoyed your explanation of the proper pronunciations of both Mixias Pitalik and Kiltib Zisim. I often go on that kind of rant myself, and it's good to know I'm not alone. The History of Doom was a nice explanation of the origins of the Legion of Doom, I really liked the beginning with the aliens discovering the final message from Superman, then seeing the history of the Legion of Doom. It does go against long-standing DC rules that the aliens reset and change the timeline to give Earth another chance. In those days, many characters had tried and failed to change history, and the end of Earth was history for these aliens, because DC had a pretty fixed idea of the immutability of established history in those days. This certainly changed later on, especially after Crisis on Infinite Earths, though. Fortunately, as Superman says in the end, sometimes when you're on the side of justice, things seem to go your way. Superman is a fan of Superman is a fan of justice. Truth too, I hear. I believe in truth. But I'm also a big fan of justice. I'm looking forward to Superman the movie month in all its glory with all your guests. Live long and prosper, Dave. Alright, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Uh just gonna go through the Dave's letter a little bit. And uh, yeah, you know, maybe uh Super Friends Rest in Peace but may not have been as upsetting to kids, you know. I guess do kids don't necessarily have the at least some kids maybe don't have the uh understanding of the permanence of death, but still, it's not easy seeing uh, <laughs> Super Friends pretty much got systematically taken apart throughout the course of that episode, as I recall. I mean, you always know the good guys are going to win in the end, but that doesn't make watching them uh, get their beatdowns any uh, more pleasant, or any less unpleasant. 
And honestly, I have no idea about the spelling of Dr. Natas. You're probably right. It probably is N-A-T-A-S, which is Satan spelled backwards. That is definitely something the, uh, especially the DC writers would do. I don't know if the Hanna-Barbera writers were that savvy. I had already uh, gone on my Mixias Pitalik rant, so I'm not going to go on another one now. And as far as the time travel in uh, the history of Doom, yeah, that is something DC has kind of said in the pre-crisis era that no matter what you did, you could not change time. I remember reading, I was reading some kind of pre-crisis story recently where somebody was trying to change time. I think it must have been a Superman story. That's really the only pre-crisis I've been reading lately. And no matter how many attempts were made, history reset itself. That concept was also revisited in, this was before the New 52, but post-Infinite Crisis, I want to say the Booster Gold uh, series. I believe this was written by Dan Jurgens after Booster was trying to prevent the uh, murder of uh, Blue Beetle at um, the hands of Maxwell Lord, which preceded Infinite Crisis. And no matter what Booster did, history remained unchanged. And I remember specifically that there was an issue of not an, of that series where he kept trying to go back in time and prevent Batgirl from being crippled by the Joker. And no matter what he did, she kept getting crippled by the Joker. So it does seem as though that you can't change history stuff has been kind of brought back. To the comics, at least at that point, which was probably around 10 years ago at this point. I don't necessarily know what people, what DC Comics' view on time travel is these days. They haven't read very many modern time travel stories recently. So, thank you, Dave, for writing in. If you want to write in and join the discussion, manascreen at gmail.com. Right now, I'm going to take a uh, quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back and uh, begin my coverage of the 1980 season of Super Friends. Hang around, folks. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. (laughs) That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. All right, welcome back, folks. All the stories covering this segment had an original broadcast date of September 13th, 1980. And we're going to lead off with Bigfoot. And all of our synopses are brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Wonder Woman drops off Apache Chief for a competition. Walking Eagle and Apache Chief encounter Bigfoot creatures who capture the Indians. Batman and Robin respond to Apache Chief's SOS and are also captured. Batman manages to use an emergency transmitter to control the Batcomputer in the Batcave to control the Bat Buggy, which causes a distraction and allows the heroes to escape. Batman then uses a bat translator to talk with the creatures. Now that we have these creatures secured, perhaps we can find out what they're up to. The bat language translator will let me communicate with them. Where did you come from? We are Novarians from the planet Nova. Our spaceship crashed on a mission to observe your Earth many decades ago. We only seek a way to repair our ship and return to our home. Holy explanations! That must be why they are, or were, trying to drain our knowledge. 
you should have tried to communicate peacefully. We would have gladly helped you repair your craft. So the super friends help repair their ship. There, your ship is as good as new. Thank you, super friends. For years we have tried unsuccessfully to get home. Now we shall return with news of your wonderful planet, and especially of the generosity of the super friends. Alright, so here we go. Here is Apache Chief attending some kind of rich Indian ritual. Apparently the magic that is haunting the village is that of Bigfoot. And Apache Chief makes Bigfoot look really small. You know, because Apache Chief's, uh, one of his powers is to grow in the huge proportions. So he makes Bigfoot look uh, really small and just kind of picks him up like a little doll after he's grown to, into a huge size. And we find that there is an entire colony of Bigfoots, and they take Apache Chief down with a bunch of cables, and they basically tie him up and drag him into a cave. It's kind of amusing to watch these, what looks like tiny creatures, hogtie this giant Apache Chief and just drag him into their cave. So, right off the bat, they're pretty formidable opponents. So, at the Hall of Justice, Superman is going to make his one appearance in this episode, and I must say, he makes a terrific telephone operator. But Batman and Robin can handle this, and Batman does some detective work, finding some tracks in the dirt, and a, and a bunch of Bigfoots attack Batman and Robin. These creatures have some magic, and they put a force field around Batman, resulting in the capture of both he and the boy Wonder. So, right off the bat, not a very good outing for Batman and Robin. Now, and these overgrown monkeys are pretty smart, as they take everything of value from Batman, except the thing that Batman has in his tooth, which will help him contact the Batcave. So, I believe this episode gives us our first look at the Batcave, in the Super Friends cartoon, you can see the computer, there's a big bat emblem on it, you know, that way when he's in the cave, Batman knows that he's Batman. I've mentioned this before, branding is very important to the Batman, and you better believe he's going to have a computer with a big bat on it. There's a tiny monitor in the middle of the bat, but a huge bat emblem. So, Batman wants to make it totally clear to any visitors that this is his stuff. You also see, uh, on the right-hand side, you see a dinosaur, um, but it's not nearly as huge as we would expect the uh, dinosaur in the Batcave to be. So, Batman is using the uh, transmitter or whatever in his tooth to summon the Batmobile. And here it comes. Meanwhile, these giant apes, or whatever they are, well, they don't seem to have any language. They must be, they're smart enough to uh, capture Batman and Robin. And these creatures are furry and quite soft, I would imagine. <laughs> and uh, Batman has made enough rug puns in this tiny episode to last a lifetime. Batman and Robin free themselves and the Native Americans, who all seem to have uh, different abilities. Then with the help of the Bat Language Translator, because don't leave the cave without your Bat Language Translator, we learn that these, these animals are aliens from another planet seeking to repair their ship. So here we go. People who need help, but don't know how to ask properly. And Batman's like, oh, you should have told us you needed help with, with your ship. We'd have gladly helped you. You didn't have to kick the crap out of us. So, now Superman, who hasn't done Jack in this episode, fixes the ship with his X-ray vision or heat vision or fix the ship vision. Maybe this is an early precursor to... uh Fix the Great Wall vision. It's not a very long bridge from fix the spaceship vision to fix the Great Wall vision. And I think with that comment, I heard a lot of people turn off the podcast and unsubscribe. So, come back. It's only a joke. So, the aliens are going home, and they're going to spread the good news about how awesome the Super Friends are. And I had mentioned the format of these episodes, the quick hitters here, the seven-minute stories. Really reminds me a lot, not only of the Filmation cartoons, but... Gives me the feel of a Silver Age comic, which would usually have, you know, three stories of eight to ten pages. But that was mostly solo books. For instance, Superman would have three stories in it. A team book, like Justice League of America, would have always been book length. You, know, you need more pages more for more characters, and you just don't have it with these stories. So, that was that one. 
Now we're going to move on to the Ice Demon. This one is going to feature Superman heavily. Lois and Clark are at a ski lodge when the Wonder Twins and two snowmobilers find themselves captured by an ice monster. Working together, Superman and the Wonder Twins manage to seal away the monster. Thanks again, Superman, for rescuing us. Yeah, and the next time I'll try to drive more carefully. Oh, hi, Lois. Gosh, Superman, looks like I beat Clark to the story again. Okay, Wonder Twins, tell me all you can remember about the horrible ice monster. I know, it's a riveting synopsis. So here we go, we got a couple of kids going too fast on the ski slope. And the, the guy here is going to show the girl the time of her life. And, you know, when that happens, in a, especially in a superhero cartoon, something bad is about to happen. So meanwhile, Gleek and the twins are skiing, but in his haste, Gleek doesn't look and crashes himself into a tree, which is basically what you would expect of Gleek. And on their way to the, back to the ski lodge, uh, Zan and Jaina are knocked off a cliff by the speeding teenagers. I guess they're teenagers, at least. And they crash into the tree themselves. So now everyone's down in a hole. And then up in a tree. And the boyfriend is extremely calm about having run into the Wonder Twins up the mountain. Wow, what a trip! I'll say, you could have killed us with that crazy snowmobile. Oh, I'm really sorry, Wonder Twins. Now, how do we get out of here? And the twins use their powers to escape, but this chasm has a mind of its own and just closes on them. Like a big mouth and just swallows, uh, swallows them up. Clark is doing a story about an ice monster, but Lois is skeptical. I'm telling you, this story's nonsense, Clark. Who ever heard of an ice monster? Well, that's easy. An ice monster's mother. <laughs> oh. Excuse me, sir. Uh, we're investigating a rumor about an ice monster. Uh, ice monster? Are you kidding? See, Clark? And no one really wants to talk about the ice monster. They're going around asking questions, and nobody either believes in it or wants to talk about it. And this is when the twins and their newfound friends here run into an ice demon, and Gleek is using Xan as an icy jackhammer trying to get rid of it, <laughs> but it doesn't seem to work, you know. Xan can turn into any kind of water form, and ice is definitely a water form. So just the vision of ice, of Gleek, operating a ice jackhammer is funny as hell. At least I thought it was. You may not think so, but I do. But it doesn't seem to work, and uh, the demon grabs everybody and puts them all into a big ice cream cone or something. Meanwhile, Lois is so skeptical, and Clark finds the trouble, and now Clark has to make an excuse to get away from Lois. It uh, complains about how wet his socks are, or something like that. It's good to see that even in a cartoon for children here, you've got Clark making excuses to get away from Lois so that he could change into Superman. And we kind of get a shirt rip as Clark uh, quickly uh, dispenses with his suit. It's always weird when you see a shirt rip and Clark doesn't have his uh, civilian pants on and his costume is, he's just kind of sitting there in his costume. I'm just so used to, you know, the suit pants still being on when he does a shirt rip. Kind of defeats the purpose if uh, you already see the Superman bottoms. Just saying. So Superman shows up and pounds on the ice and he's saving the twins and uh, the two kids. Now Superman goes for the logical idea and tries to meet Vision, but that nearly collapses the cave, and now the twins are going to help, which, by help, means not much. Jaina turns into a reindeer, and Xan is a shield of ice, and he does protect everyone, but it really doesn't help them get out of the cave any. So Superman stops the monster by throwing it back into the ice, and he basically creates a new block of ice around it with his heat vision. I guess he melts a little bit of the ice to form some water, and then freezes it, freezes it over the monster to uh, keep it in place. Those of you who have ever had your car frozen shut during an ice storm would kind of get the point of what I'm trying to say here. Water was poured over the monster, and it just created an extra layer of ice, making it impossible for the creature to break out. 
So the kids have learned their lesson uh, not to drive too fast on the ski slope, and they're going to look where they're going, and that's when Lois comes up to uh, get an interview, and she makes a comment about beating Clark to the story, and Superman gives a George Reeves-style wink to the camera. Boy, have I missed that. We haven't seen a George Reeves-style wink to the camera probably since the Filmation cartoons. The uh, Filmation cartoons tended to uh, use that a lot, and it's good to see that back here. You know, these episodes aren't <clears throat> going to be so much Justice League episodes. They're just going to be basically team-up stories. So the Super Friends name does still apply. It's just, it's not the full league. But so This was basically a very basic episode. Not a lot to chew on, but none of these episodes really have a lot to chew on. So let's move on to the Makeup Monster. And our synopsis is as follows. While Batman, Robin, and The Flash watch a movie being made, the upset makeup artist uses a strange formula to make a movie mask better. When he puts it on, he becomes the monster and creates havoc around the set. When when the heroes learn who the monster really is, Batman comes up with an antidote and turns the makeup artist back to normal. Thanks, Super Friends. You've saved my studio from disaster. And to repay you, I have a contract for you to star in my next film. Thank you, but we've already signed a lifetime contract with the Justice League. That's right. And being super friends is hard enough without having to be superstars. <laughs> All right, so this episode starts with a very foreboding forest, and here's a young girl in an evening gown running through it, and she's scooped up by some kind of swamp monster. And apparently, the camera zooms out, or at least whatever passes for a camera zooming out in a cartoon. And we find we're on a movie set. And the director of the movie is one, Mr. Snyder. How unfortunate in the wake of Zack Snyder's uh, Superman-related movies. So the director is having uh, trouble getting the monster costume to work right. He's filming a monster movie, and he wants his monster costume to work well and not look ridiculous. Fair enough. So he kind of sends the uh, costume back to the makeup artist to get him to make it better. So the make Makeup artist will put a hormone solution on himself, and it turns the makeup artist into a monster. So here we go. It's going to become a monster episode. And Mr. Snyder is impressed. And we're going to see here, we're going to have Batman and Robin and the Flash. And I must say right off the bat, it's really great to finally see the Flash. We haven't seen him since Challenge. And, you know, Flash is one of the core members of the Justice League to me. And it's good to finally see him getting his due again on this show. I wish he'd be more of a regular. So we get a nice shot of Flash kind of running up and upside down on the set. And they put the monster in a wood cage, and a little bit more solution turns the monster back into the makeup artist. And uh, so we're going to see who it is now, and then he's going to become a pterodon, and he's going to kidnap the actress, and they go to a battlefield set. This episode is just a lot of kind of going from set to set. It's a chase, basically, basically is all this is. And they wind up on the set of this war movie, and explosions are set off, and it causes Batman and Robin to duck. And it's kind of funny watching this, because... If everything they're seeing is a movie set, this stuff shouldn't be that dangerous. They're acting as though these bullets are real. Maybe it's training. Maybe Batman and Robin don't want to get into bad habits. If Maybe if they're afraid that if they forget to dodge blank bullets here, they'll forget to dodge real bullets in Gotham. I don't know. So Batman has stuff in the Batmobile that's going to help with the uh, solution, and <laughs> it's quite amusing seeing the Batmobile parked among a bunch of normal cars. I've always kind of wondered about that. You know, when Batman travels, what do people say when they see the Batmobile passing them on the highway? Hopefully, it doesn't cause them to go off the road. So, Batman's got a little science lab in his uh, trunk, and he creates a solution that, if it doesn't work, nothing will. Well, good. I guess it better work, then. So, now the uh, makeup artist uh, dabs himself with a few more uh, drops of his solution, and our flying dinosaur has now become King Kong. And he grabs the girl and climbs the water tower, right out of King Kong. Well, King Kong uh, 
tended to climb skyscrapers, but there were no skyscrapers available on this particular movie set. So the monster turns on the water, and Batman is nearly uh, washed away. And then, undaunted, Batman goes up the water tower, sprays Kong, and the monster is suddenly turned into the makeup artist again. So, as a reward, Mr. Snyder rewards Batman, Robin, and the Flash with a contract to star in a movie, but they turn it down and kind of make some lame uh, stars jokes as a reason for uh, their acceptance. They want to be super friends, not superstars. Hardy, har har. Again, this episode, just a straight-up monster chase. A little bit of homage to King Kong. Or a lot of homage to King Kong. That pretty much takes us to the end of the first week of these shorts. I think we're going to find these episodes are going to go pretty quick, because there's not really a lot to talk about over the course of these episodes. So, let's take another break, play another podcast promo, then I'll come back with uh, week two of season five. Hang around, folks. Hi, I'm John Wilson. And I'm Michael Kaiser. And we're the hosts of the podcast, Make Ours Marvel. You know, here we are in 2018, 10 years into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, can you believe we live in a world where everyone's old Aunt Petunia knows who Iron Man is? It's crazy, right? So, to celebrate, we're on our mission to explore the roots of the Marvel Universe. You know you've thought about it. Some of you may have even done it. And now we're going to do it, too. We're diving back into the long boxes of Marvel's history and podcasting our way through the whole universe. All of it. Every superhero issue. And, if I can convince Mike, we'll even do Sergeant Fury. And it's not going to be one issue per episode. That'd take forever. (laughs) It's still going to take forever. But no, we're going to talk about as many comics as we can in an hour. Yep, an hour and, you know, maybe a little change. Every week, Marvel Comics. So it'd be super cool if you came along for the ride. Look for us every Friday at MakeOursMarvel.com. That's MakeOursMarvel.com. Or on iTunes and all the other usual podcasty places. And if you want to read along with us and send us your thoughts, we might even read emails. So until Avengers Infinity War gets a spin-off Warlock and the Infinity Watch TV show, Make Ours Marvel. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of September 20th, 1980. And we're going to lead off with Journey into Blackness. And like in the last segment, all of our synopses are brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A traveling black hole sucks in Superman. Batman, Samurai, it's up to you to save the Earth from the black hole. There's, there's nothing else I can do. A black hole has got Superman. We have got to help him. No, Samurai. The safety of the Earth comes first. That's the way Superman would have wanted. Let's go. Then Batman and Samurai and the Earth. Inside the black hole, the heroes find a strange energy-absorbing alien. Impossible. It just absorbed that entire star. It must have absorbed fragments of kryptonite, too. And unless we can neutralize its energy, it'll absorb the Earth next. That star creature may be powerful, but it's not strong enough to be the source of the black hole's gravity. Then our only hope is to find that power source and reverse it. Commandingans! Superman, Batman, you divert the star creature. I will find the energy source. Right. And then they defeat the alien and put the Earth back in place. That's basically it. Nothing really 
else happens in that episode. So, much shorter synopses for shorter episodes. So, we are starting at Superman's Fortress, looking exactly as it did when we visited during the uh, last season. I think that was Terror at 20,000 Fathoms, if I remember correctly. Superman gets an alarm and sees a huge black hole, and it's heading toward Earth. I'm not sure if black holes travel and go places, but I guess in this universe, black holes can travel and come for your planet at any time. So you better be aware. So, so Superman is going to fly counterclockwise or clockwise, or basically he's going to spin around and hope to send the black hole to another dimension, but apparently it's laced with kryptonite and Superman can't escape, and he has to uh, call the Hall of Justice to tell them that he is unable to accomplish his mission. Only Batman and Samurai are at home, and it's been some time since we've seen Samurai. We haven't seen Samurai, I think, since Challenge of the Super Friends, and I would not have been unhappy if we never saw Samurai again, but here he is, being all Samurai-ish. Thank God this character didn't go anywhere in DC Comics, let's just say that. So Batman and Samurai are going to succeed where Superman failed. Yeah, let's see how that worked out for them. So there they sh- they fly up in the uh, Bat rocket ship, Batman fires photon torpedoes, or something, at the black hole, and now Batman and Samurai are being sucked into the black hole as well. Which really looks more like a wormhole, the black hole does, and it looks like it leads somewhere. So let's follow along and see where it goes, shall we? Oh, and while they're getting pulled into the black hole, uh, Earth is getting... Uh, pulled into the black hole as well, which is impossible, but such a thing would pull the planet apart. It wouldn't actually just come through the black hole intact. At least not how I understand science. But then again, black holes don't travel either. So so apparently this building with light rays emanating from it in every direction is probably the cause of all the trouble, because a building like that is always the cause of all the trouble. And here is Superman in a cage, and Superman tells Batman and Samurai of a creature of light that they are powerless to defeat. And one of the things I'm really amazed about in this episode is... It's Batman and Samurai, when normally when you see Batman, it's always and Robin. No Robin in this episode, which surprises me. So Batman tries to mummify the creature, but he just winds up in the cage with Superman for his trouble. Samurai will turn into fire, you know, after he uh, mutters some Japanese. He turns into fire, and he fails in spectacular fashion and ends up in the cage, too. And as they're watching from the cage, they watch while this being of light basically swallowed a star. You know, as though it were having a light lunch. But I guess that's how it gets its power. Some people take naps. This creature eats stars. So, here comes the Earth, just lowering itself down to the creature and about to become its next meal. So, uh, they get uh, everybody gets out of the cages. Batman and Superman are going to uh, distract the alien while Samurai looks for the power source. Batman has a lightning rod that doesn't work. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because Batman actually did think his lightning rod worked. He threw his lightning rod at the creature and it kind of just... Looked like it got sucked into the uh, lightning rod like a Ghostbusters trap. But nope, the creature just went in, came right out. <laughs> there was a great comment between Batman and uh, Superman where... Great Gotham! I never expected it to work that well. Looks like it didn't. But that was kind of a priceless ex- exchange. Samurai kind of gets around by turning himself invisible, and he finds the power source. And for the first time, I, I'm pretty sure, we see Samurai wielding a katana. Which is a nice image. So, Samurai is the hero of the day. He defeats the villain, and Superman is going to push the Earth back into position. Samurai congratulates Superman on saving the Earth, basically calling it a piece of real estate. As if that's all the planet is to him, it's just a piece of real estate. Well, I guess that's all it was to Lex Luthor in Superman's movie. Remember, his father said, Land. That's right. So, Superman is hoping scientists can harness the power of a black hole, and Batman seems to have the need to apply it as a vacuum cleaner. You know, for litter. Nice to see Batman is thinking of the real worldly issues. Superman is looking for some kind of discovery that will help mankind. 
Batman is thinking of something to help Alfred with the living room. That's pretty much that for that episode. Again, not much. So, let's go right ahead. Keep on marching to the Cycle Gang. The Wonder Twins are trying to save the passengers of a car that is about to go off a cliff when they begin to be harassed by a Cycle Gang. Help! We're gonna fall! Hang on! We'll take care of everything! Right! A 30-foot super snake and a frosty ice crane ought to do the job! Wonder Twin Powers! Hey, gang, look what we got here. A couple of weirdos with pointy ears. You don't understand. Those people in that station wagon are in great danger. So what else is new? You better let us go or you're going to be in big trouble. Hey, nobody talks to Spike that way. You're the one in big trouble. Stop! Let me go! Pipe down, sweetie, and you won't get hurt. And they need Wonder Woman's help to stop them. I don't know how to thank you, Super Friends. I don't know about Wonder Woman, but calling us Super Friends is all the thanks we need. And don't worry about that cycle gang. The sheriff will see to that. They won't bother anyone from now on. Jupiters, I wish we could say the same thing about Gleek. Alright here, so, we're, there's an old man and his uh, grandson that are driving down the mountain. They'll be driving around the mountain when they leave. And uh, these three bikers, are going, or three or four of them, are going to harass this man and his grandson, basically for the crime of driving past them. You know, because they kick some dust on these guys. Yeah, well, you know what? You're on a dusty road, you're standing next to the road a car drives by. If you're not careful, you're going to get hit with some dust. So, the dust was just an excuse. These guys were going to go after the grandfather anyway, because... He seemed old, so they figured he'd be an easy mark. So, here's our ode to toxic masculinity. And <clears throat> the grandfather has some right ideas. This cycle gang is chasing them. He closes the window and tries to ignore them, but and he also tries to get away. But speeding down a windy mountain cliff is probably not the best idea. And it's proven that it's not as the car goes over a cliff. Literally, it just runs out of road and starts falling. And uh, as they're watching the uh, car fall, the biker gang identifies themselves as the Highway Angels. I guess you can't say Hell's Angels on a kid's cartoon in 1980. So here are the twins at the lake, and Gleek is uh, fishing and using his uh, Justice League communicator as bait, and he's not catching anything, so I'm guessing the communicators are not very appetizing. But it does get the attention of a fish that kind of just looks at it like it's like trying to figure out why it's at the bottom of the ocean, or the lake, or whatever, wherever it is. So the twins get a call from Wonder Woman, and uh, they go check out the station wagon. And it's a good thing that Gleek brought his bucket because Zane will turn into water. And Jane a bird is, that's their preferred method of travel. So here is the car dangling on, rather precariously, on some rocks. And uh, Gleek's got, got the uh, wild gestations going. Uh, yeah, we can see the car hanging out over there. The grandfather kind of looked like Harold Gould with his long white mustache, you know. If you uh, turn on one of the two prankster episodes in uh, season two of Lois and Clark, you'll see what I mean. If any of you watched The Golden Girls, he also played Miles Weber. Yeah, I know a lot about The Golden Girls. My mother watched that a lot when I was a kid, so I know more about that particular 80s sitcom than I really care to. So, yeah, the twins' uh, transformation is interrupted by uh, the biker gang, and the leader is Spike, and he captures the twins as they continuously swat Gleek away. It's kind of funny watching this. These guys are grabbing the Wonder Twins, and uh, Gleek is trying to interfere, and they just keep kicking them out of the way. You know, like he's a minor annoyance, which... I don't know, if you ask me, Gleek is a major annoyance, but that's just me. You might feel differently, although you probably don't. 
So Spike is going to do a cycle jump over Zan, and uh, Gleek is calling Wonder Woman, because he still has the uh, Justice League communicator. Wonder Woman can't understand Gleek, but she understands his mood, and she says she needs to home in on his location. Why does she need to home in on Gleek's location? She sent the Wonder Twins after the car over the cliff. She told them where the car was. She should know where the Wonder Twins are. So now this, <laughs> I thought was kind of funny here. Zan and Jaina make contact during the jump, and Jaina turns into an octopus, and it scares the crap out of Spike, causing him to hit a tree. And I'll admit, I didn't see that coming right off the bat. So Zan becomes an ice ramp and puts the rest of uh, the highway's angels into the trees. And now uh, the station wagon is still kind of uh, hanging on the rocks. Where's Superman when you need him? And now, once again, the Wonder Twins are going to activate their powers. This is a seven-minute story. They've turned on their powers three times. So Zan becomes an ice crane and Jaina becomes a snake. And they're not strong enough. And Jaina drops the car. Fortunately, Wonder Woman needs to uh, justify her reason for being in this episode, and she pulls the car and saves the old man and his grandson, basically pulling the Wonder Twins fat out of the fire. <laughs> well, the bikers are going to jail, and Gleek is going to try a motorcycle trick, but this is pretty clever. He crashes into a dead-end sign and writes the end on it. I like that. But before that happens, the old man uh, should really thank Wonder Woman as the twins nearly dropped him, but he ignores Wonder Woman but thanks the twins, so. But they, they did stop the Highway Angels, so I guess that's something. I was waiting for a morality play in this episode. Thankfully, we didn't get one. So. Let's finish this episode off with Dive to Disaster. And our synopsis is as follows. When a Navy submarine is out of control, Aquaman and Black Vulcan must save the submarine and its crew. The two super friends are not helped when a radiation leak begins to mutate sea life into monsters. I've got to hand it to you, Black Vulcan. Your timing's perfect. Thank you, super friends. The Navy owes you a debt of gratitude. You're quite welcome, Captain. But what I could really use is a recharge. <laughs> So here we go under the water following a submarine when disaster strikes. We've got tons of what appears to be lightning all over the screen, but I guess that I guess it's supposed to be fire because we do see uh, someone come over with a fire extinguisher to try to put it out. And when the submarine sent out its distress call, it goes straight to the Super Friends. No naval command, no other ships, nothing. They bypass everything and go straight for the superheroes. I repeat, this is submarine Seahawk. We're out of control on a collision course with Hawaii. Hurry! I'm in the Pacific right now. I'll take care of the submarine. I'll fly out there and give him a hand. Superman is here while the distress call comes in. So is Wonder Woman. Aquaman intercepts the distress call and says he'll take care of it. Fair enough. Black Vulcan says he's going to go help, but there is no reaction from Superman and Wonder Woman. And since they're not in the rest of this episode, it's safe to assume they didn't go. I guess they're scheduling a game of Yahtzee or something else that they couldn't miss. This was my complaint from the team of episodes in the all-new Super Friends Hour. The whole league would be assembled in the control room, and half of them would just stay there so the featured heroes can do the work. Fine, if you want to have few of the heroes do stuff, fine. Why go through the trouble of animating the rest of them at all, if you're not going to use them? So, Black Vulcan and Aquaman are on Aquaman's jet ski. I'm not sure why uh, Aquaman needs a jet ski. I guess he needs it for the same reason Superman needs a supermobile, so somebody can sell toys. Black Vulcan tries to help and makes things worse. He sends a propeller into the hull of the submarine and creating another gash in the sub. Now the submarine's nuclear reactor is going critical. More bad news. And, you know, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, especially since I saw him earlier in the episode, Superman may have had this dealt with by now. So Aquaman sends a squid and a whale to pull the sub out of danger, but they're easily overcome by the radiation, and then they become monsters. So the squid, now red, 
is trying to squeeze the submarine. Aquaman talks to the squid and gets it to let go of the sub. So, despite the changes to these creatures, they are still responding to Aquaman's telepathy. And uh, at some point, Aquaman and Black Vulcan are swallowed by the whale. Very, uh, like Jonah. So Aquaman has learned a great deal by living in the sea. Apparently getting out of a whale is easy enough, as that's one of the things he's learned. And they escape through the blowhole. Insert joke here. I'm not going to do it for you. Just too easy. Bingo! Right in the blowhole! So they get back on the sub, and Black Lightning stops the, uh, the, the radiation leak by fixing the submarine from the inside. And fortunately, the people on the beach have started cheering before the sub stopped. The submarine was coming at them, and... It would have hit them, but fortunately it didn't. Again, if Superman doesn't know about this, fine. But if he does, there's no way he's not going on this mission to save the submarine. I'm sorry. Just don't have him in the episode at all if you're not going to use him. Don't put any of the super friends in the episode if you're not going to use him. Why would you put Superman in an episode with a submarine disaster and then leave him out of the rest of it? Because there's no way he'd skip that. <sighs> this rant is not going to take me anywhere else, so... Let's just call it a day, shall we? Next time, I'm going to cover weeks three and four of the 1980 Super Friends shorts. If you want to send feedback on this episode or any other episode, feedback is always welcome. Manofscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Manofscreen uh, podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manofscreencast. So, until next time, folks. We're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.